Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I suspect you already knew that. Ephesians chapter number 6. Today will be the seventh message in this series about spiritual warfare. Paul is very emphatic about the fact that we are involved in a warfare, and he says in verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is our text today, having already considered the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, now we come to having our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Having read, studied, prayed, uh, I'm convinced that there is more confusion about, about this part of the armor than any other. And uh, I can't begin to tell you how much I've studied and read this particular verse. Uh, the difficult thing about the message today is that it really takes about five or six messages on the subject to try to cover everything. The title of the message is The Gospel of Peace. And that's what I want you to remember. The Gospel of Peace. That's what it's all about. And notice that Paul uses the illustration, first of all. Notice the figure that he uses, your feet shod. So obviously he's talking about footwear. That might seem really insignificant at first when you read that, uh, but actually it's very important. I remember years ago an elderly man saying that he always, two things, that he always bought the very best that money could buy. He said, I always buy the very best bed that money can buy, and I always buy the very best shoes. He said, because half of my life I spend in the bed and the other half on my feet, and I need the very best. Now, even though he's talking about footwear, I want you to notice he's not talking about fashion. Uh, what he's talking about serves a useful purpose. Today we're caught up in the fashion. We've got to have a certain kind of shoe on, and uh, if it's not, you know, a, a Jordan, it's got to be a New Balance. If it's not that, it's got to be something else. But uh, he's not talking here about uh, the matter of fashion. He's talking about function. He's talking about something that is designed for a particular use. You know, we have, we have house shoes. We have dress shoes. We have uh, skiing shoes, running shoes, climbing shoes, just about everything that you can imagine. But in that day, people basically wore what we would call sandals, and it was just made out of leather and wood, held on the feet by some straps, and uh, those lightweight sandals were fine, you know, if you're just kicking around the house all day long or uh, maybe working out in the garden, but the soldiers needed something a lot better than that, and so they had a heavy-duty sandal that had hobnails in the sole. And so note the function, and, and function is what this is all about. 
And, and it serves at least three purposes. Number one is protection. And by the way, that's crucial. Keep in mind, in the context of all of this, we're talking about being in a spiritual warfare. We are commanded to stand rather than to give in, rather than to sit down, rather than to run from the fray. He tells us that we are to stand. And, and for the soldier, uh, he could be as strong and skillful as anyone, but if he couldn't stand, if he couldn't walk, if he couldn't run, he's easy prey for the enemy. So the footwear becomes very, very important. I, I just, for some reason, can't forget the picture of Washington in the Revolutionary War, Washington and his men and uh, you know, in, in the snow and literally wrapping their feet in rags, just anything that they could find uh, that would protect them. And that's what we're talking about, the protection here. And, and protection in a time of warfare. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something about the effect, and he described what the enemy would do. They would take sharp sticks and sharpen it down to a fine point, and, and put it in the ground, it, it was called a gin or a trap, and they would put that in, in the ground just, you know, where you, you couldn't see, covered over the leaves, and then lead the other army to come that direction, and automatically, you know, those sticks jabbed in their feet. Well, now they're out of business. I mean, there's the severe pain, uh, there was the bleeding. In addition to that, it could become infected, and now the soldier is out of action. It's, it's amazing how important footwear is, and I'm sure all of those that have been in the military, you've had a lecture, you know, from the sergeant or something about how you protect your feet. It's important. And so Paul is talking about protection here, but he's talking about also stability. And he keeps using that word stand there. The, the, the sandals with those hobnails enable them to do that. They, they couldn't afford to slip or to slide. And um, if they're traveling through maybe rough terrain, going up a hill, down a hill, if they're locked in hand-to-hand -hand combat, it's important that they have that leverage, the stability that they need. But then there was a third thing about the footwear, and that was mobility. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't find a war just standing in one place. Uh, you, you move from place to place. There's more than one position. They, you can't be one-dimensional. You can't have on all of this other army and say, hey, man, I am good to go. I've got the best breastplate that money can buy. I'm really good to go. But if you don't have something on your feet that's going to protect you and enable you to be mobile, you're done before you start. Think about the ancient warriors and what have you. Alexander the Great, been some called him the greatest strategist that there ever was, but one of the reasons Alexander the Great conquered so many people is the fact that he had taught and trained his soldiers that that the swiftness of foot was exceedingly important. They had to be mobile. He had made for his soldiers certain kinds of shoes that enabled them to do that. And finally, the Romans finally caught on to what was going on uh, uh, and, and started doing it themselves. It's interesting to me that over in the book of Daniel, where he's speaking about the various nations, and whenever he mentions uh, the Greeks, the sign of the Greeks was what? 
leopard. That leopard, and what do we think about a leopard? We think about swiftness. And so this is a picture here of the mobility, the stability, and the protection that the footwear affords. Now that's all the easy part, right? I mean, it's easy to just sit down for a little while and figure out the function of the footwear and how it is, uh, it enables us to be victorious when we're in battle. It's the interpretation of the illustration where it really gets difficult. And uh, we have to understand exactly what Paul is talking about. And everybody, it seems, has a different idea. There are those that claim that this uh, has to do with the preaching of the gospel. And they use two basic scriptures for that over in Isaiah chapter 52 and then in Romans chapter number 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good things. Now, though, listen, those are wonderful words, and those words are true. In fact, the gospel ought to be preached. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think that is the idea here in this text. He's speaking about what? He's speaking about standing and fighting, not knocking on doors and evangelizing those that are lost. Are you with me? Notice the word preparation that he uses here. That comes from a Greek word that simply means readiness. It means being prepared. It's translated ready over in the book of, of Titus here. And according to Paul here, this readiness comes from what? The gospel of peace. So the good news of peace is the thing being pictured here as being on our feet. Are you with me? The, the good news of peace is the thing that's pictured being on our feet. So that raises another question. What is the gospel of peace? You know, usually the first thing that comes to people's mind whenever they start talking about something like this is being at peace with God. And, and listen, that's where it all begins being at peace with God, because we're not even in the fight until we are at peace with God. Amen. But once we are at peace with God, we need the peace of God. Yes. You see, before salvation, what? We are the enemies of God before then. Amen. That's it's not that God set himself against us, it's that we have set ourselves against God. We've turned every man to his own way, as the Bible describes us. So it's not being at peace with God. Talk about being at peace with God. That has to do with our position. It has to do with our justification. That's something that can never change. Amen. If you are at peace with God, that's, the, that's your position. It's going to be that way from now on. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And you can't put salvation off and on. You're either saved or you're not saved. So here he's talking about the peace of God. The peace of God. Paul speaks a lot about that over in Philippians, and I wish I had time to go through and just read all that he has to say about it, and I'll refer to it again later on probably, because there's some things that he mentions there related to the peace of God that we need to understand when we talk about having our feet shod with the preparation, what? The peace of God. 
It tells us over in Philippians that certain conditions have to be met. It's not something that's automatic. You can be at peace with God and not have the peace of God. And so when we're talking about something that can be put on and put off, that fits the analogy using here because everyone that's at peace with God may not have the peace of God. Meeting certain conditions. There again, God puts responsibility upon us. Whenever the Lord said, let not your heart be troubled, he implies by that that we, we are responsible for that. I want you to think about, again, the situation that the apostles were in whenever the Lord announced that he's going to leave. John, he's, he's going to leave. They've been, they forsook everything the Bible says to follow him, and now he's going to be gone. And at this point, they don't understand it all. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come. He'll be your helper. But at this point, they really don't grasp the message. But then he, he tells them in chapter 14 and 16, he speaks about the fact that he was going to give them his peace. Look. Look at chapter 16, verse 32. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a fight. They're going to hate you, despise you. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And chapter 14 explains how. Verse number 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Can you imagine what a great comfort that must have been for those followers of the Lord? I mean, that was good news. So why should we think about it, something being strange when he talks about the gospel? That is the good news of the peace of God. That was good news. Because calmness in the conflict is crucial. When you're fighting a war, you, you just can't go helter-skelter out across the battlefield doing whatever you want. When I was in the seventh grade, I learned an important lesson. And I'm sure I've probably mentioned it again, but you know, up until then, I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's almost true. Whenever going to grade school, you have, somebody's fighting somebody every day. I mean, every day we had a fight. Everybody's trying to achieve the pecking order. I remember the guy turned out to be my best friend, uh, uh, the first day he came to school, his nickname was Tubby. That tells you something about him. And so, you know, he didn't know what to think about him, so I thought I'd try him out, and I got him down in the ditch out in the front of the schoolhouse, and I'm sitting on him there. And, and uh, so somebody was fighting somebody. But back then, all we knew about fighting was just kicking and swinging wildly. And I got in the seventh grade, Coach Farley, and he said, boys, I'm going to teach you all how to box. I'd never had on a pair of boxing gloves in my life. And the first lesson that you better learn in boxing, that you don't go out there just swinging wildly, but you go out there having yourself under control. 
in a battle, if we lose control of ourselves, if we lose that calmness during the conflict, we're going to be in trouble. I, I wish I could get everybody to see how important the peace of God is. There are multitudes of people that are miserable simply because they're unwilling to do what's necessary to have the peace of God. That robs them of, of, of their joy and it hinders their usefulness. You know, they're just so distraught, so worried, so fretful that it keeps them from, uh, from accepting the challenges or, or conquering the challenges. They're, they're so distraught that they can't endure the difficulties that, that come their way. But when you are at peace, you have the peace of God, all of a sudden things begin to change. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. I, Philippians chapter 4, and I want what Paul says about talking about here the not only the importance but the path to peace and what it does. And verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, we pretty well fail that test all the time, don't we? But yet the Bible says we ought to. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That is, don't worry about anything. We're failing again. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now notice, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, that is, it'll guard your, what, your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now generally today when we think about the heart and the mind, we think about, you know, the mind is the place of our reasoning and, and our heart being the place of our emotions and our affections. But in, in ancient times in the Greek and the Hebrew, wherever they spoke about the heart, that had to do with the mind, the will, and the emotion. And he's telling us here with the peace of God, he says, it will keep us under control. Our mind, our will, and our emotions will be kept under control. That's a huge improvement from where most of us are. We, we don't rejoice as we should. We worry more than we should. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any being praised, think on these things. Now, that brings us down to the inspiration of the peace of God. You, you, you know, it's one thing to be well equipped as a soldier, but it's another thing to have that inspiration, the inspiration to do what God has called you to do. And we find here, notice that perfect peace is possible. Oh, we can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. It's beyond our understanding. But he says it's possible here. And that inspires us to keep standing, to keep struggling, regardless of whatever the problems we face. And one of the most inspirational 
Final verses I know in the Bibles in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And then the next part of that it says, Because he trusteth in thee. You know, we look at the situation as to what's required of God, and we admit maybe sometimes, well, rarely, that we fail. We don't rejoice as we should. We don't do this and we don't do that as we should. And we miss out what God has promised. And when it comes to the peace of God, not having what God promised and what God provided here puts us in a horrible, terrible condition. He said, I'm going to give you perfect peace. I'm going to give, Jesus said, I'm going to give you what? My peace. Hang on to that. My peace. It's not as the world giveth. It's not that kind of peace. But he says, I'm going to give you my peace. And they needed it because why? Tribulation's going to come. And he tells them, don't worry about that. You see, the problem is some have a partial peace. They are at peace when everything is going well. Suns are shining, not too hot. Rain's not in the forecast. You feel good. Everything's going good. Wow, you've just got wonderful peace. But 30 minutes later, you're falling apart. It's a partial peace. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about here. This is a perfect peace. This is fullness. This is complete. Are you with me? It doesn't change every time the wind blows. This is a perfect peace. Don't be satisfied with the partial peace because that doesn't satisfy God. And then there are those that have a phony peace. In other words, they want everybody to believe, oh, man, I, I, I'm just at peace. I don't worry about anything. I, I'm just Mr. Cool. And inside, their emotions are boiling. They know they don't have peace. It, they might appear to be dealing with everything well, but inside, inside, they're lacking that, that peace. Can you imagine the peace that Jesus had? You have to wonder. You have to wonder how he could maintain his composure knowing what awaited him. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Wanting the Father's will to be done. Submitting himself to that, knowing what was to befall him. He lived his life in the shadow of the cross. I've often thought, you know, every time he looked at some lumber there in the carpenter shop, he must have thought, one of these days, there's a cross. Every time that he raised the hammer, or saw his dad raise the hammer, drive the nail. He thought someday that'll be me. They'll drive the nails in my hands and feet. Every time that he saw a soldier marching by with a spear, he thought someday they'll use a spear like that to pierce my side because, listen, none of that caught him by surprise. He knew absolutely everything. What makes this peace of God so important? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, it helps us to think clearly. To think clearly. Life is full of questions. 
Every time you turn around, there's a new question, and our decisions are important because we can't be at our best when our mind is filled with worry. Because worry causes us what? To make the wrong decision so many times. Years ago, I wore out the tires on my car, and, and you got to remember, big on this matter. You got we we got to trust God for everything. It's a church that I'd started. By the way, that was our principle that we lived by. We trusted God for everything. I I couldn't tell you the whole story in two hours. It just so happened that my tires were wearing out. And, and I was determined, like my daddy, you don't buy anything on credit. But my tires were wearing out. I mean, they were about gone. And we used retreads back then and then had to patch them up the best you could. And so I decided I've got to put some tires on my, on my car, and I did. And one of, one of our men... His name was Bob Giddens. Always very quiet spoken, didn't have much to say. But when he did, it really, really meant something. He said, why did you jump the gun and go ahead and go in debt and buy those tires, Brother Stone? He said, my wife and I already talked about it. We'd already planned to buy you some tires if you'd just waited. I felt like saying, well, why didn't you tell me you was going to do that? And I, I figured that'd be rude. But I guess he was just wanting to see if I was going to really trust the Lord. A lot of times we make bad decisions whenever we get, whenever we get all worried and fretful about things and we think we've got to do something. We, I can't put this in God's hands any longer. I mean, we get that attitude. I've got to do something about this right now. It'll never get done if I don't do it. But whenever we have the peace of God, we think clearly. And you need that during warfare. And if you're a Christian, you are at war. Not only that, but when you have the peace of God, He gives you more energy. Boy, if there's anything that will drain you of energy, whether you're fighting in a bar room or whatever, and I hope you never even go in a bar room, let me tell you, you can exhaust yourself in fighting. You think you've got a lot of stamina and you're strong and a lot of energy. You just get in a fight with some old boy out here and see how long you last if you don't go at it the right way. Within 30 seconds, you'll be panting, wanting a breath of air, and you won't be able to breathe. But the peace of God gives us more energy. Warfare drains you of your energy, of your determination, your enthusiasm, and limits what you can do. Number three, another benefit is the, it enables us to enjoy life. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul said that the Lord has given us all things, all things to what? To enjoy. God doesn't expect us to go through life with our lower lip dragging the ground. He doesn't expect us, and you know, to not be cheerful. He tells us to rejoice, but we rejoice in the Lord. <clears throat> and by the way, Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
If you're not a joyful Christian, you are a weak Christian, and being at warfare, you're in danger. We get this idea that it's okay if I'm not joyful. You know, some people just, you know, that, they're that way by nature. You ever see other people that just by nature, they've, they've got some particular attribute that you admire. It might, might be these people that are smiling all of the time. I, I can't look like I'm smiling when I'm smiling. I, I can't tell you, I won't tell you who, but I can't tell you how many times people have thought I was mad at them when I wasn't mad. I remember coming out of the service, little boy, honest, true story, looked at his mom and said, boy, God was sure mad today. I was just preaching but I always wanted to kind of be that way where you've got that pasted on smile, you know, I mean, where it was natural. We don't all, we don't all have those, you know, characteristics that maybe we're born with that, that others might like to have. But we can all rejoice in the Lord all the time. You can rejoice in the Lord even when there are tears in your eyes. You can rejoice in the Lord because of what you have, not worry about the things that you lost or the things that you don't have. If you want to be a joyful Christian, you have to have the peace of God. There's another benefit to it. The peace of God helps others. And boy, Paul really digs into that in Galatians chapter number 6. It reminds us that we are to help one another. Some way or another, most people think that the absence of peace is not a really big deal. And if that's what you think, I want to tell you, you are in danger challenge and Satan Satan not only lies to us he lies in order to get the advantage of us Colossians 3 and verse 15 says and let there's that word again and let the peace of God rule in your hearts perfect peace that's your safe place Whenever you think, oh, everything's going wrong, I've got to deal with this, and I need to do it right now. No, no. The peace of God, your safe place, leave it for God to work out. I can't tell you how many times as a young preacher I thought, well, here's the problem, and I've got to fix it today before I go to bed tonight. I've, I've got to fix that. The first church I pastored, I, the very first week I started off making that mistake. I won't go into detail, but there was something that was a problem, at least a problem to me. It wasn't a problem to 90% of the people there. But I let them know that, you know, certain things that we wasn't going to do, and I wanted to settle it right then. Must have made a great impression. You know, I probably said something about it, you know, if you don't like it, there's the door. You can take it or leave it, lump it or like it.
but so many times when it comes down to this matter of having peace and just saying, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. But you do. And it's not going to help me to worry about it because worry's not going to change anything except make me worse. So I can sit there and wring my hands and, and worry about something, but it's not going to change a thing. Your safe place is to have peace. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 16 He says, the Lord of peace himself give you peace always. By all means, the Lord be with you all. And I wanted that to be my prayer for each and every one of you today. The Lord of peace himself. I, because I can't do it. The Lord of peace himself gives you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you. Wouldn't it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of us could leave here today knowing that peace of God? Because I guarantee you every one of you is facing some kind of a difficulty in your life. It's probably something that you don't have a clue how you're going to fix it. You don't have a clue how it's going to work out. And there are times that you have that partial peace where, well, you, you know, you don't know you're not supposed to. The Bible says not to worry about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. I'll go watch a ball game. And then before you know it, it's right back and it has you by the throat. The devil and to make you worry and fret about things that you can't change. That's why we need the peace of God because it brings change. It might not always change your circumstances, but it'll change you. That you can have that peace of God. Let me just back up and go through all of this one more time. I really do, and I've thought about it all week long. I'm afraid that whenever it gets down to the end, and as we close our Bible and walk out of here, that there are going to be some folks still not get the message. So here's the message. Jesus warned us about troubles and trials. He warned us about the, the attacks. He said in Luke chapter 21, Be not terrified. Surely somebody there must have thought, what are you talking about? Be not terrified. You just told us there's going to be great tribulation. You just told us they're going to hate us and despise us. They're going to put us to death. And you're telling us to be not terrified. And Paul said, and in nothing terrified by your... So you and I have been warned there's trouble... In life, and we've been warned by the Lord here about these, and then we've been promised that His peace is possible. Do you do you believe all of the promises of God? I mean, really believe it. Well, then you've got to believe this is possible. So I'm going to give you my peace, and then surely, surely 
you're aware of the fact that Satan, the God, is doing everything in his power to rob you of your peace today. And when you get up in the morning, he's going to do the same thing. He does not want you to have this peace because the peace is powerful. Four things, the four things that it helps you in this warfare. Our text tells us what? Stand our ground. Don't sit down, don't run away, stand your ground. Because fear will cause us to fail and to quit. Peace is essential. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep. It's going to guard your hearts and your minds. Here's a verse that you might not have thought about. Romans chapter number 14 verse 17. And the kingdom of God. We just had. The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God. Well, what is it? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Well, we would expect that, right? And peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Of reasons, but for one, I want you to see there's more, there's more to Christian living. Righteousness. There's more to it than that. There are those shoes of the peace of God that equips us. But also, I want you to know something familiar about this verse I just read. The kingdom of God is not made in drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Over in Galatians chapter number 5, Paul speaks about the fruit. Right? We all would expect that. The fruit of the Spirit what the Spirit of God produces in the child of God when the child of God is surrendered to the will of God. This is what it is. It's love and it's joy and peace. Yes. Amen. And peace. You know, I, I just, some of the people in the church, I, I, I don't love them. I, don't, I never have, I never will. I Or if you're here today and you never have that joy unspeakable and full of glory, it, just, it doesn't exist in your life. And you attribute it to the fact, well, I'm just made that way. I'm just a sad sack and that's all there is to it. That's a problem. But some way or another when peace is missing, well, it's not even a big deal. Everybody has troubles, everybody worries. It happens when you get down there in Galatians and, and he talks about all of these different qualities here. And you get down to the last one, it's all about temperance. 
That is talking about self-control. Would it be all right if you just lost self-control today? I always wanted to slap him. I'm still going to do it today. I always wanted to cuss him out. I'm going to, uh, just lost all self-control. I don't like this sermon. I'm just, I'm just going to get up and walk out the door. You just lose all self-control. Would that be all right? When we lose the benefits of the peace of God, because we're going to lose the battle. Satan is going to use that to drag us down and literally to, to destroy us. If I don't have the peace of God, well, wait a minute. What would I do if I had to admit I don't have any love in my heart for any, anyone? I don't love anybody. Wouldn't I kind of need to repent of that? Or if I lose the joy of my salvation, which is, wouldn't I need to get on my knees and say, Lord, I'm in trouble. I've lost the joy of my salvation. God, I, I, I can't go on like this. Or, or, or if I lost self-control. I had a preacher friend lost self-control. Got in a fist fight in the, in the service in the parking lot. I mean, he was one... I, ready to go and somebody said something wrong he said let's take it outside they went outside and had at it wouldn't you think that have now come on you're not going to do something like that but I just wonder if you don't lose self-control once in a while at home with your husband or your wife lose self-control that's time that we get on our knees and repent of our sin. And it's when, when the peace of God is missing in your life, you need to get on your knees somewhere and say, Lord, I, I haven't even recognized that I have this serious problem. And if we don't deal with it, believe me, it's going to cost us. It's not all right to not have the peace of God because you're not prepared for war and you are at war whether you like it or not. You're in it. And if and I want you to leave here being a winner. The Lord wants you to be a winner. Honestly say, I don't understand it, but I have this peace of God in my heart and I seldom if ever have any problem with it. I'm going to be honest, there are times that during my time with the Lord, it's not all right for me to sit and worry about this. It's not all right for Focus on the things that are of importance to you, the things that would please you. 
There might be someone here today and you've never received the Lord as your Savior. You're not in this fight because you're in captivity. And you're wondering, what in the world is this all about? What, why did I come here? This preacher sounds like some kind of a nutcase to me. I, I, I never, I go down yonder and I don't ever hear anything about being in a spiritual war. If you don't believe me, please. And you're going to lose because your adversary, in this case, by your choice, by your sinfulness, is God. We're the enemies of God. But it is as a result of our sinfulness. It was that way in my life for 24 years until I began to realize that, that I am a sinner of anything. I can't change anything about my condition. But I believe Jesus did the same thing for you today. Let's all stand together and Brother David and the musicians are going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. Brother Kenneth is here. God might be speaking to your heart about something entirely different. But don't walk out that door not dealing with some issue in your life. And have to suffer the consequences. Father help us today. And Lord I ask you to help us. Because if it's left up to us. Why we. Even if we could. We probably wouldn't. We'd maybe go on pretending. Pretending all as well. Nobody's making accusations against us. So we feel like we've got them, them fooled. We'll just go on living in our pretense, hoping someday that it'll get better. Lord, help us to be honest about our condition. And Lord, if there are things that the Holy Spirit walk up and down the aisles of this church and speak to hearts, make us aware of the things that, that you are aware of and the things that you disapprove of. And for that person that's here today that maybe they've never heard about Jesus loving them and dying for them. Lord, help them to understand today they could become a child of God. They could win the greatest battle that's ever been waged. And may your spirit draw them to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus.